if we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this. And at the end of the day, that woman lives in shadows. You don't really ever see her full lit and look at her. So it matters what her silhouette looks like. I want a silhouette that you can tell that that is a black woman. Hello and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our communities, and our stories. I'm Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and this week we're speaking with fat woman herself, Javicia Leslie, and together we'll tackle the impact of Black superheroes on screen. So we finally got through the 2021 Academy Awards, and it turns out the big event was pretty disappointing. So what I think was the Academy's attempt to meet the moment ended up looking really sloppy and coming off just not great. Regina King opened the show, which was awesome, especially since she was not nominated for her debut feature film, One Night in Miami. But she took the time out to address the Derek Chauvin verdict and said something along the lines of, if things had gone differently last week, I would have had to trade in these high heels for my marching boots. And that was a really cool way to set the tone. But unfortunately, the rest of the event didn't really live up to that awesome opening. One noticeable thing was that the show was stacked with Black faces, whether it was Little Rel playing song games with Glenn Close doing the butt. They had a lot of Black faces on the show. I don't think Little Rel is someone that I would have imagined being on the Oscars this year, but okay, fine. So... I don't know. I mean, this was co-executive produced by Jesse Collins, who we had really big hopes for, has an excellent track record for producing fantastic, entertaining award shows. And the Oscars, like, shared a lot of information about what their plans were going to be. They said they were going to film it like a movie. They were going to film it wide. And it was going to just feel incredibly different than any other experience we've had with the Oscars. And this did feel incredibly different than any other experience we've had with the Oscars, but not in a good way. I don't know what the effect was supposed to be, but it still just looked like an award show at home and really like a boring one because they cut all of the performances, saved all of like the music performances for the pre-show, didn't have any like funny comedy skits or sketches, no host, which isn't new, but probably wasn't a great idea for this format. And just these kind of weird, long, like dialogues between Lord Dern and the nominees. It didn't tell everyone a lot about what was fantastic about the films and the people that were nominated. And it was, it didn't feel good. It wasn't fun. It was boring. The speeches were boring. Everything was boring. I mean, Tyler Perry got a huge honor. And as usual, he took the opportunity to make a really moving speech. But All in all, it was a bummer. I was so happy that Daniel Kaluuya won Best Supporting Actor for his role of Fred Hampton in Judas and the Black Messiah. And of course, it was incredible to see history being made for the incredible hair and makeup team for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But Viola Davis did not get the win for her portrayal of Ma Rainey in that fantastic film. And Andre Day did not get the win in that category either for her portrayal of Billie Holiday. Fine. Okay. Moving on, best actor. I mean, here's the thing. I think a lot of people were blown away that Chadwick Boseman did not get that award because it was a stellar performance. But also, I mean, Anthony Hopkins didn't not deserve to win, but the setup felt like a setup. I mean, they switched the order of the categories. Instead of having best picture at the end, they saved the last award of the night 
for the best actor category. And I think a lot of people assumed that was because of what an impact it would have been for Chadwick to make history, to hear again from his beautiful wife who was there to accept the award on his behalf. You know, usually they save the really powerful moving moment for the very end. And then we get there and it's Anthony Hopkins and he's not there. So it was like womp womp, the perfect ending for exactly that. A show that just felt like, (sighs) anyway, we've got one more really big award show coming up and that is the Emmys. So my attention is turning to television these days. And also the fact that Daniel Kaluuya did win at the Oscars, Chadwick was nominated, Ryan Coogler was nominated for Judas and the Black Messiah. It could have been a really huge night for Black Panther alums. And that got me thinking about how far we've come. Obviously, when I think of Black Panther, I think of Chadwick. And I wonder who could have known that we would be talking about the Oscars and this potentially history-making moment he'd have posthumously. And, you know, that he is the Black Panther. We're paying attention to what's happening with part two. And in the years since Black Panther made such a huge impact on Hollywood, we've seen so many more Black faces in the superhero space, whether it was animated, whether it was writing those scripts, telling those stories, or suiting up and being an actual superhero. I mean, we've had Regina King as Watchmen. We have Ava DuVernay working on a series based on the DC comic character Naomi. We've got the Black Lightning spinoff Painkiller coming to the CW. Anthony Mackie is killing it over at Disney Plus in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Tiana Paris made such a huge, huge, huge flex in WandaVision. Everyone is still talking about that storyline. We've had a Black Spider-Man. We've had so many different depictions of superheroes, of superhuman qualities bestowed upon Black talent now. And that is such a huge deal because we know that people love superheroes and that representation really transcends beyond the screen, whether it's feeling like we are part of this great American pastime or realizing that we have these internal strengths and the power to change our circumstances to having superheroes that little Black kids can look up to and aspire to and play along with and be included in and not feel like an afterthought. I mean, it's been so cool watching my son have all of these kind of icons to look up to, you know, and Anthony Mackie's not the first one, thanks to Chadwick Boseman. And he's had several since then. He doesn't think superhero and automatically picture a white face. And that was the case when I was growing up, when most of us were growing up. And so this trend of Black superheroes is not going anywhere and neither is its impact. And we're seeing that transcend across networks, across studios in so many ways. And one person who's really blazing a trail when it comes to how we're represented as superheroes is my next guest on Acting Up, Javicia Leslie. She is currently the badass Black lesbian Batwoman on the CW series. And she's here to tell us all about how she got this gig and what it's like to be Batwoman. Javicia, jump in. That was a long prompt, but go for it. So it's funny that we're talking about the difference between real, like not the difference, but we're talking about both real world superheroes and your superheroes that you see in TVs and movies that are from the comic books. And I always have to say, I grew up with people, artists like Billie Holiday, 
Nina Simone, Eartha Kitt, Josephine Baker, Debbie Allen, and more that to me were my version of superheroes because they showed me what it was to be in their position and service their position for people. Because you can be in their position and service it for yourself, or you can be in their position and service it for your people and other people that feel connected to your journey. So I've always had a respect for those artists, those individuals. But as a child, I don't know if I understood what that meant. I don't know if I understood them as superheroes. I just thought they were freaking dope, you know? Yeah. As a child, yes. Seeing on TV Superman, and I remember watching, was it Rosewood or something like that? Mm-hmm. Like, whatever show yeah. he was on. Yeah. You know, I remember watching that. I remember watching X Men. I remember watching uh, Batman. I remember watching all those shows. And those were like, I never saw us in that kind of world ever. I thought I saw, you know, Storm, and even Storm sometimes you couldn't tell yeah. <laughs> until you could tell. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't see us. Um, and so it was cool when Storm was cast as a Black woman. I was like, okay, wait, she is Black. Okay, Hallie Storm, so we're good. You know, on the comics, you couldn't really tell. You know? And so to be able to bring live action superheroes to television that look like us allow children to feel connected in a world that they feel is like it supersedes human power. And I think that that's super powerful. It's weird because we want to tell our kids not to look at TV and find their heroes. Their heroes should be in front of them. And at one point, our heroes should have been people like our presidents and and our politicians, but we know that that's long gone. I don't know if it's ever been. But since we know that regardless, children are influenced by film, television, arts, it is important to have representation. And yes, Black Panthers turnout proved that we want representation in the comic book world and superhero world as well. Yeah. I mean, my kids love all of the superhero stuff. My son is four and my daughter just turned six and they do, they get so empowered and excited. It's the first kind of content that feels adulty. I mean, even the Incredibles feels a little bit mature, but it's obviously animated. But I mean, They love this movie called We Can Be Heroes on Netflix, which has a very diverse young cast. He loves Black Panther. I love that he is starting off seeing Black Panther in the same conversation as Superman and Batman and all of these other heroes that for me growing up were all white. It's not like I grew up like, oh, I wish, I wish there was someone. But when I saw it, right, when like when Black Panther hit, it was like, whoa, explosion. It was so aspirational. And there are so many spinoffs now, whether it's on Disney Plus and the Marvel franchise or what's happening at the CW or, you know, what we're seeing on Netflix and just across so many platforms and networks and studios are tapping into this idea that Black people can be powerful and that they can be a very valuable part of this market. I remember speaking to Nafisa Williams about Black Panther before it even kicked off and it was a huge deal. We'd never seen that kind of show put together with that kind of cast. And she went in knowing that she was not only representing for Black folks and for Black women, but she was also representing the LGBTQ plus community for the first time that I can remember in a role like that. Yeah, And that was such a smash. Like that was so incredible. And she embraced it and went into it with such an intent to open people up to that part of her character and to real viewers who could finally identify 
with a hero in that regard. How do you and how did you approach what I would imagine was probably a high level of responsibility going in? For me, I tried to take the art first, which was to dive into the story, to lose myself in the story. I take a class called The Imagined Life, who is taught by Diana Castle. Mm. And everything that she teaches me is about living in the story even before I show up to set. So for hours every day, I would just sit in my imagination using all of the ingredients that I had from just one script. One script in a conversation with the show's producer. That's it. But the beautiful part about life is we're so layered that this one script has so many layers within it. And then I'd find things that influenced me and I'd text or call Caroline, who is the executive producer. And I say, she didn't just go through one foster home. She went through several foster homes and some of them were good and some of them were really bad. And I remember there's this lady that she really liked her. She just wasn't a good foster parent. You know, she, she was nice, but she always had people over the house and they drink mm. and they drink and they smoke and maybe they weren't the best influences on a nine-year-old girl. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But then I also remember when she was in a group home and no one cared about her. No one looked at her and she was just a number. And that's how she was able to go missing and no one knew. And then I remember when she found Mama Cora, she started off as another foster home, but then they fell in love. Like that was her mother. And I'm talking to the show's producer and she's like, oh my goodness, none of this is in the script. I was like, well, what you put in the script influenced these feelings, this imagination, these thoughts. And from there, we were able to even build more on her character. So that's kind of how I started. I just started with the work itself. Mm -hmm. And then after starting with the work itself, I started to jump into, okay, the physicality of it. Like for me, I was always very active before I booked this role, but it was really cool to be able to put a passion for being active with a passion for acting, obviously. And so then we started to carve out what type of fighter she was. I was very important to me and my son team that I didn't land like every other superhero lands, you know, like Mm -hmm. fist down on the concrete when I come down. Like, no, I wanted to land more solid. I wanted to, what influenced me was, um, I love watching female action movies. And so I watched this movie called Underworld. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah, Uh, Gary. yeah. Yeah. So I watched Underworld and Underworld, when Kate would land, she would never land with her fist on the concrete. She would land very wide and solid. And that was my influence for how I wanted to land. And, you know, then we started thinking about how we wanted her to look. You know, we never had this real discussion that she would have an Afro. I think for me, when Caroline and I started talking, I just said, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And at the end of the day, Batwoman lives in shadows. You don't really ever see her full lit and look at her. So it matters what her silhouette looks like. You know, like I want a silhouette that you could tell that that is a Black woman. Wow. We looked at our fan art that we had gotten. And a lot of the fan art that we had gotten because they hadn't seen me in the suit yet was influenced just by the picture that we put out when I booked the role. So I had a big curly bushy afro wig on and that was then the look for batwoman when everyone would would create their fan art version of brian's batwoman and we were so influenced by that and that's what we said and it's scary sometimes it's scary sometimes when i know that my hair speaks before i speak but that's something that we deal with as black women every day you know if you're a black woman that's choosing to wear your hair natural your hair will always speak before you speak and it was a struggle for me throughout this process because I would read some comments and they'd say, I mean, geez, the hair though, the hair though. And then I had to remember, we had African warriors fighting with Afros, you know, whether they shaved it or whether they wore natural, we had that choice, but we had female African warriors fighting with their hair. There's this amazing samurai artist on Instagram. I think her name on Instagram is the samurai. 
and she has she always has like this big afro and she does bow staff she does samurai she does all kinds of things and that hair is never in the way and so I'm like okay this is it this is what I'm doing like this is what we're doing we're making sure that we're showing little black girls little black boys that your hair texture the bigness of your hair doesn't matter why do they get to why do other races get to have long blonde hair but we can't have a big brown afro yeah yeah because if you're fighting that long blonde hair can get in the way just like the big brown afro can get in the way Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and i love that i have producers that understood that and it was that important to them as well for caroline she was like i completely agree i completely agree this is a superhero and let's make her a black superhero. <laughs> yeah. How crazy is it that people were making fan art of you? Like how wild is that just as an actor? I mean, like it's not an easy road before you land a role like this. So how has your reality changed as Batman? It was crazy, super humbling. It also kind of showed that this superhero world defies what we believe separates us. And so don't get me wrong, like there are obviously people that don't agree with having a Black Batwoman, but those really aren't the people that are the superhero fanatics. They're not the true comic book fanatics because if they really were, they understand how change had to happen. They understand that when comics first came out, they weren't representative of us because we weren't the ones creating them. We didn't have the opportunity to create them. We didn't have the opportunity to incorporate our ideas into these characters, which is why a lot of Black comic book characters came out later and not in the beginning, like most of the mainstream comic book characters. So when you're referring to the true comic book fans, they really embraced Ryan. And then it really did help, obviously, when Batgirl put Ryan in an, in a comic book issue. You know what I mean? So it was just like, she's grounded. She's there. She's there forever now. And they just had so much fun creating their version of Ryan, even before they saw Ryan. And that to me, like, that showed me how loved this character would be yeah. and what she yeah. represented for people that have been reading comic books all their lives and never saw themselves in a comic book. We have to, we have to give them a voice. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, Batwoman truly hasn't had a chance to fully experience live action, regardless of the race. It's kind of like, it was always like tapped in and then walked away from due to whatever. But now with this show, we're going to get a chance to fully experience like this amazing historic character. One of the first lesbian characters, you know, and now the first black character, we're going to get to fully experience all of its colors through a television series. And I think that that's so dope. Yes. You know, what you were saying about your hair and like how adamant you were and thinking about like the functionality, the silhouette and the impact as far as representation. But was this role the first time that you have felt that you had the agency to push for something like that, that you prioritized? No, um, when I did God Friended Me, my character got cancer in the second season. She was fighting breast cancer. And, you know, I can't speak for anyone else's experience as an actor, but for me, it was truly important to be as authentic to the story as possible. I had friends and family that have battled breast cancer. And it was important for me to know every step of the way. But more than anything, it was important for me to know what journey it is a Black woman has to go through when it comes to dealing with doctors throughout their process. Because when I was doing so much research, a lot of women were sent home and told nothing was wrong with them. And told, you know, oh, well, you just need to eat this, you need to do that. And like not truly looked into. And it would, it would sometimes go almost a year and a half, two years of severe symptoms that were ignored by doctors because, 
either one, they don't have the best health care, or two, women are almost looked at as being overly dramatic when we are saying something's wrong with us. And so it was very important for me to dive into that world. It was very important for me to be a fighter and an advocate. And it was also very important for me to have the look. And so we went completely bald for 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 um, Allie when she was battling her breast cancer. We, we took it as far as we could take it where I felt like this is truly showing the authenticity of what women go through when this happens, you know? And it kind of sucked because our show got canceled before season three and it would have been really dope to see Allie have to deal with what it is afterwards, yeah. you know? What it is after you have to lose your breast or after you have to, you know, whatever it takes to make sure that you live, what it takes to live afterwards. I'm all here for giving everything and for diving as deep as possible with my characters. Who were your favorite Black superheroes to come out over the last few years? I mean, obviously Black Panther. Um, that whole movie, all of the characters, not just Chad's character, but like the women in it. Oh my goodness. You know, I had a few friends that were a part of the army that they had in. I just thought that was so powerful. I'm actually writing a novel right now. It's like a female warrior fiction novel. And sometimes when I'm writing it, I'm like, can this happen? Like, is it possible that women can do this? And then I'll get a glimpse of Black Panther and I'm like, hell yeah, it's possible. And I'll just keep writing like these fun ideas. So Black Panther was a huge influence for me. Obviously, Storm was a real influence for me because for me, like, like I said, that was my first time seeing a Black female superhero. She was beautiful. Whether she was in the live action or cartoon, she was beautiful. She was so cool. And she loved Wolverine. And it's just so cool to love such a flawed person, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that was definitely like a huge influence for me. Batman was actually a huge influence for me. I really, really loved Batman. I grew up watching Batman. And I loved every iteration of Batman. Like, mm -hmm. I loved... Okay. Well, there's one version that I'm not going to speak aloud, but, <laughs> you know, but every other version I loved. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who would be the best Black Batman? Okay. So I'd have to, like, really, really think, but let me just name some people off the top of my head. Okay. You're probably already going to know what I'm going to say. Who? I, I would not mind seeing Jonathan Majors <gasps> play Batman. <gasps> He's oh fine. God. He's talented. He's young enough. Yeah. Because, of course... Every black woman would jump to Idris, but I think Idris may have exceeded what what normally aged Batman to be. He would be a very distinguished Batman. Very distinguished, like like Batman Part Ten. He could yeah. be Batman. I was thinking like movie because movie I was skewing older because like Clooney did Batman. I don't know those white men in Batman weren't terribly young in like some of the more extensive film portions, right? But I feel like when Clooney did Batman, he wasn't what Idris is now. Like, True. I love Idris. Idris is not as, he is beautiful and so lovely and kind. He is not as buff as we think he is. And I noticed that in Concrete Cowboy, he had like a sleeveless shirt on. And I was like, huh, it was not like the guns from, oh, what was that? Didn't he do a Fast and Furious movie recently? Oh, okay. So I'm so happy you brought up that. He did the movie with The Rock. Yes. And Kevin Hart and stuff. He's not buff like that. He's slendery a little. So maybe not him as much as I thought. He is slender now, but I actually saw him at the premiere of that movie in person. Girl, he is fine. Girl, he had a little cutoff shirt. Okay. It wasn't cutoff shirt. It was one of those shirts that like when guys wear it and the sleeves cut right above the bicep. He, trust me, he used to be muscular. Yes. 
Well, he's a little slim to be Batman now, but everything yes to Jonathan Majors. Yes. That would be so amazing. And it could be deep and dark because he is such a brilliant actor, but he is also yes. so incredibly hot. I mean, I know other people would run to like Michael B. Jordan. No, no, not for me. Not for Batman. Like I love Michael. Not for Batman. But not for Batman. You need to be a little bit more brooding for Batman. And I watched Jonathan in a few projects he's done. And I'm like, okay, he's brooding. You really did that. Yes. Also, there's another guy that if he buffed up, he'd be that person. Uh, The actor Yaya. (gasps) Yaya (gasps) Abdul-Martin. Yaya. Yaya Abdul-Mateen the second. Come on now. Yes. If he buffed up. He's pretty buff. He is, but you got to be a little bit more buff than that. A little more chiseled. He could do it. Oh my God. So now I don't know who I would want. And even talking about this gets me so excited for Jordan Calloway's painkiller. Because I think he's going to be amazing as the lead of that show. He's so cute. And he's just a sweet. So last question. Are you guys all friends? Like, is there a photo of all the black superheroes over at the CW because that would be so cute. I wish no because I got past the middle of the pandemic. I haven't even been able to physically see anyone, but I'm so close with everyone. Let's do that, guys. Like let's put that on the books. Like let's get a before Black Lightning is over. Let's get an all black superhero CW picture. That would be so powerful. But are you guys all friends? Do you guys like hang out? Yes. Well you know Jordan and I did um, always a bride to me together. So that's like that's my homie. And then Nafisa is like a sister from another mister. I feel like her and I have been orbiting the same energy and roles and, and crowds since I started here. Like yeah. she, she's kind of like a big sister to me in this, as far as her having gone through a lot of the stuff before I went through it. Yeah. I love her. She's fantastic. This was lovely. I hate that I have to let you go. I could talk to you for much longer, but I so appreciate it. It was great. Yes, this is amazing. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcasts at thegrio.com. Follow us on Instagram at actingup.pod. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell.